If you are not getting educated about the current market conditions, whether you're in finance, you're in accounting, you're a mortgage professional, you're in title or obviously real estate, you're doing yourself and especially your clientele a disservice. This is the Knowledge Brokers podcast, and I'm here with Byron Lazine and Lisa Chinati. I'm Tom Tool, and a nice change of pace this week, you two. A little bit of stability in the market. We've seen rates kind of settle in a little bit. Inventory still remains a challenge. We're not hearing the Fed shoot their mouth off and create these crazy market reactions like we saw the past two or three weeks. I don't know what you're seeing. We're seeing about six and three-eighths for the past three, four days on mortgage rates dancing around there. We've seen inventory continue to be a little bit of an issue, although there has been a pop of it here and there. What's your feeling going into this weekend? What's your feeling going into Easter week, kind of the, the second quarter? Today's the end of the first quarter. How are you guys feeling about the market right now? I'll jump in and say I, I thought it was a little bit of a crazy week for a lot of different reasons. But to your point about the stability on on the rates, it was, you know, stability to the high side of 6.5 uh, because the rates did sit over 6.5 the entire week. Uh, you know, it started the week at 6.54 and we'll see where, you know, we're, we're here taping Friday at 10 a.m. We'll see where they end up today. But they were they got up over 6.6 and stayed over 6.4 the entire week, but a very tight range, six, five, four to six, six, one. So, um, you know, I'd love to see them under six, five. We, we, we'd rather it be here than at seven. Um, you know, but last week we were, we were a little bit under that. And so, uh, hopefully we can get, you know, predictability to your point, but, but predictability on the downside of six, five is where I'd like to see it go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the big things that we're kind of seeing are stability in the rates, but also an increase in consumer confidence about that and being able to take action and feel comfortable knowing that the decisions that they're making are the right decisions. And that I think seeing some stuff kind of level out in the banking sector has been helpful as well, or maybe just not having it as front and center in the news is helping with that scenario as well. Um, I think from the market perspective and tying right into some of the stuff to discuss right here in the East, I think we're finally starting to see inventory increase, um, which is huge for buyers who've been struggling a little bit through the spring market with a lack of inventory. A little bit, right? Not, not, um, not a lot, but at least showing, showing some signs of life. The Northeast has been much stronger. There was a, a NAR, um, pending sales report that came out and the Northeast region out of the four regions was up the most month over month on pending sales. So, you know, not only is the Northeast fighting inventory, but, but it's being absorbed very quickly. So, you know, that that's obviously reducing inventory, but yeah, Lisa, you're, I guess you're, we were talking this morning a little bit, you're seeing, at least in the last seven days, a turn on inventory. And so maybe that's the start of it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, when I pulled numbers this morning, we saw uh, this week so far is probably our highest week of new listings in Massachusetts in almost the last 24 months. So the single highest week in a really long period of time. Um, and some of the interesting things, I know we were talking about it this morning, is kind of watching 
some of the trends of where those increases are coming. For us, it's happening in the eastern part of the state and kind of spilling west, uh, starting with our more urban areas where we're seeing increases and spilling into our more suburban areas as we go along. Um, so kind of fascinating trends to watch, but definitely bringing lots of opportunity for folks. One of the interesting things I found, and this is anecdotal and, and from a case study standpoint, is that there, there's really two types of buyers that are out there right now. There's these buyers that have been hanging around since maybe September, October, when rates spiked up the first time. And they're, they're just getting their asses kicked. Like they just can't, they, they can't they can't navigate this market. They're getting increasingly frustrated. They've been looking forever. And then I see this whole other population of folks that are saying, you know what? We're going to transact this year and we are ready to make a move. And they're just saying, hey, the market's the market. These rates are what they are. I've done my research. I'm here to do a transaction. And what's been happening is that, you know, historically, we got this seasonal flow, especially in our three markets in the Northeast. Springtime, you know, really, you know, I, I know locally we do about 60 percent of our business before June 30th each year. And the bulk of that is Q2. That That's the, the quarter to make hay. Right. And these folks that have prepared for this in advance and haven't moved up their time frame versus the ones that couldn't transact or chose not to or got scared or whatever happened last year, they're they got these two sets of buyers battling right now. And the folks from last year, if we want to call them the, the delayed buyers, right, I think that might be a good term to, to, to look at here. They, they're, they're just not ready to readjust and they're still fearful and they're still uncertain versus this other group that maybe got educated, maybe hooked up with the right knowledge broker to educate them prior to jumping into the market. Now that agent skill sets have changed, they're almost outmaneuvering the folks that have been in the market for a while. And it's creating you know, a little bit of, a, of some friction for these other folks. I, I, I don't know if you guys are seeing the same thing, but it's almost like the tale of two, two sets of buyers here based on their time frame. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the tale of two markets that the Wall Street Journal wrote about. And yeah, certainly there's there's two different two different buyer mindsets. I'd agree with that. And there's also, you know, two demographics that are competing against each other often, which are the boomers and, and the millennials. And the boomers make up the largest buyer pool, which flipped. It was millennials the last couple of years. Now it's boomers this year. And oh, by the way, boomers are the runaway. And I've been on this train for a while. They are the runaway leader in uh, who's actually listing their homes this year. They make up the biggest pool, you know, this NAR generational study that came out this week. I can pull up the, the exact number, but for sellers, it was staggering how many of them are boomers. And so not concentrating your, you know, listing marketing materials on the boomer, you know, pool because you think they're phasing out is a huge mistake. And I will tell you, explicitly boomers are going to be in the game for the next 15 years. These, these, they're not dying off. They're very healthy uh, and, and they're enjoying life. And they're after the last couple of years with everything that happened, they're spending their money. And so they're, you know, they're like, you know what? Screw it. Life is short. I'll just outbid this stupid millennial and buy this house cash because it, it's in a walkable downtown and I want the two houses and I'm going to go do it. Yeah, well, and I, I think we've talked about that for the past couple of weeks, right, that they're they're least impacted by the rates. They've got a ton of equity in their current homes. They have, to your point, the desire and the ability to live the lifestyle that they want. And so it makes them an insanely powerful demographic. 
Um, and I think we're going to see them even start to sell more and trade in, you know, to your point, not necessarily having two homes, but just saying maybe it is two homes, but not the single home that they've had, two smaller homes so that they can live dual lifestyles is a lot of what we're seeing up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, pull, I'll pull that number up. Go ahead, Tom. I said, we, we've seen the same. I mean, my, my, my parents fall into that generation and they, you know, took the big single family home, you know, 3000 plus square feet. They bought a property on the water down in Maryland and they maintain a smaller town home up here where we are locally. And it's, uh, you know, for them, it was, I'm sick of the maintenance. Yeah. I got a lot of equity, but I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have the time to do this. I've got the money to buy these properties and you know who they competed with for the townhome? A bunch of millennials. And you know who they competed with for the condo on the water down in Maryland? A bunch of millennials and they just said screw it we got byron your, your point is spot on there and they were hesitant to move for a while and i think this is the thing with boomers this was like a three four year thing in the making and and it was they wanted to do it they didn't so i at least your, your point is spot on and, and just from a case study standpoint that's a great example hey, yeah, and i think get, one of uh, the uh, go, go ahead lisa and just stepping all was, over each other <laughs> I was going to say one of the things when working with millennials that we're kind of coaching our millennials to do to be competitive in these situations is to find lenders that will fully underwrite the buyer prior to getting the offer accepted so that you can be in a stronger position to waive the financing contingency. Because when you're in these situations going against cash offers, we all know cash is king right? The typical seller doesn't want to take any additional risk. And so I think it's going to require a change in strategy to help those millennials actually be competitive against the older generations with the cash. Yeah, let me, uh, I'm still looking for that number. Let me get your thoughts while I'm looking for that number on this. I'd love your takeaway. So when asked about uh, what sellers want most uh, from the real estate agent, okay, by level of service provided by the agent. Um, pricing the home competitively came in first. Uh, market home to potential sellers. Um, help sell the home within a specific time frame. Those are the top three. So 1%, 1% of sellers said they wanted the agent to help create and post videos to provide tour of home. And what does every agent go into a listing pitch trying to accomplish is, is these tour videos, but yet 1% of sellers when surveyed say that that's what they want from agents by level of service provided when they're ranking these that came in at 1% of being the most important to sellers. I'd love your takeaway on that because we, we have a lot of agents listening right now to this podcast that might have all their eggs in that listing video, listing tour bucket. Lisa, what's, what is your takeaway when you see that data from, from NAR? I, I actually agree with it. I think, again, I think one of the things to keep in mind is our job is to get people in the homes. And I think sellers are just as educated as buyers, right? And how many times do we, as buyers, look at the video? A, I, I don't know many that do, but I think sometimes it's more detrimental and changes the perception of whether somebody's going to come in. It's just like bad pictures, right? Bad pictures can actually limit the yeah. number of people that come into a home. And the videos, I think sometimes, depending upon the quality of the video, it's to highlight the agent more so than it is to highlight the home. And I think the consumer is becoming savvy to that. So here's that number. 52% of boomers are 
the age of sellers for this year, 2023 market. So one out of two sellers is a boomer. Okay. And then on the buy side, on the buyer side, uh, it was, uh, 39, 39% of buyers are boomers. Wow. So four out of 10 buyers are boomers and five out of 10 sellers are boomers. Okay. So Tom, you can stop dancing on TikTok now. It's, it's the boomers. <laughs> Good thing I never started. So uh, that's been a, that's been a trend for the, for the past four decades. Uh, you know, th this to me is exciting for the future of the market because the boomers are going to unlock the inventory. I mean, that, that, that's been the, the, the challenge here. And uh, the, the video stat, I mean, that, that's if you look at like the, the top stressors sellers have, and it's the same num numbers you talked about. Zillow did a survey about this. It's a lot about timing, pricing, and coordinating everything. And most agents don't go in and even talk about that stuff. They talk about, we're going to outmarket the competition. We're going to do all these other things. I love the idea of going in and saying, hey, here's your here's your plan. If you've got a home to sell, let's let's reverse engineer this and let's talk about when you want to get into the new home. Let's say they buy a new home and most boomers have the ability to buy without selling. Right. So let's assume that's the case because they have equity. They've got cash on hand. OK, here's the settlement date of your new home. Let's walk this backwards and see how it's going to work. And that's a strategy that will be much more effective for agents who didn't really even consider this the past two, three years. Because timing is one of the things all these people worry about. They don't want to move twice. They want to be comfortable moving. Moving sucks, right? And these boomers have been in their homes decades. So that's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to pack up. And if you can bring that plan to the table and focus on their needs first, or just even ask them, hey, Lisa, what's going to be most important to you when selecting an agent prior to coming out? And when you get the answer to that question, or hey, what are the things you're concerned about regarding the selling process? These are basic pre-qualification questions that people never learned or totally forgot about since the end of 2019. So uh, I, I love that the boomers are coming to the market because that's going to unlock that like Gen X inventory of all those move up homes that people want to get into. Because that, that's I don't know what you're seeing in terms of most competitive offers. I'm seeing this like that that juicy middle price point. It's where you're, you're moving up or you're going to be somewhere 20 years. Those are the homes that have like. Lisa, what did you say this morning? 87 offers on a property right outside Mass uh, Boston, Massachusetts. That was staggering. Yeah, it was 87 offers. We and we were. It was one of my super experienced agents who went in on a on a property that, you know, I wouldn't say that it was priced super low. It was definitely had a price for marketing purposes. But 87 offers. It was actually a multifamily, as opposed to a single family. But understanding kind of what's going on with rents ties into it, right? Understanding a lot of stuff. Tom, to your point with the marketing stuff, one of the things that I think agents have lost track of, and you know, back in the day when we used to talk about how commission breadth could sink a sale, I think one of the things that is kind of happening right now is listing breadth, right? Where we are all so focused on getting the listing because we know we need the listing that we're losing sight of the fact that those boomers aren't going to sell until they buy. And our biggest job is to get them excited for the buy, to help them understand what the possibilities are. And when you earn the buy side business with the boomers, you will almost always get the list side business. But if you go the opposite way, I think you risk losing the business. As we close out quarter one and go into quarter two of 2023, it's been a wild ride. And if you want to stay ahead of the curve, make sure that your business lasts throughout 2023. As you see others regressing, make sure that you have the staff willing to support your dreams and your goals. It's why I use Virtue Desk 
to staff up our virtual assistants. Whether you're looking for an administrative marketing, prospecting, inside sales, or customer service assistant, or you just need that executive assistant, contact VirtuDesk today. Use the BAM code down below to get $250 off of your startup fee with VirtuDesk. Use the BAM code down below. Hire VirtuDesk to staff up your virtual assistant experience today. Yeah, everybody listening right now that's an agent, you need to adopt journey breath and you need to be really educating and helping on the journey. I have a past client who reached out to me who, by the way, I've got him a property off market in 2017. Uh, I think it was 2017, 2016. So got him a like an incredible deal because he didn't even compete in a different market. So obviously he's, he's making a ton of money, right? He has to sell the property for uh, personal reasons. By the way, he would fit into this boomer category. And to your point, Lisa, all he will talk about is the homes that he's looking at in Tampa, in Sarasota. It's not about the, the home that he's selling and how to get the most money. He's a boomer. He's pretty educated. He's very educated. He knows he's going to get top dollar. His number was within $25,000 of the number I gave him. You know, once I checked with an agent on the team and said, hey, where do you think this is coming in at? This is where where he's at. We were within twenty five thousand. OK, so he, he just intuitively or we were within 50,000 rather. He intuitively knew. But what he really cares about is the communities, the condos that he's looking at in Florida, because that's the next chapter. And that's what's exciting to him. Yeah. You know, and I think the oh, go ahead. Ladies first. So which way does that go? I'm just kidding. So, um, so Tom, go ahead. <laughs> you want to give your, your go-to uh, comment here in this situation, Lisa, for all the listeners? You know, give us a uh, like if you, if you like how Lisa's just bullying Bri uh, Byron and I, like nonstop. I think that's a – you want to see more bullying from Lisa, let's get some comments below. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, well, what I uh, – I don't even know what I was just going to say. I told – oh, I do now. The agents that are focusing on the, I, I've heard a lot, um, a talk about suitable housing contingencies and just list your house and we can put in that it's subject to sellers finding suitable housing and it's not going to work, right? It, it's kind of going back and even pivoting to, you've got to take out all conversation about the listing until the sale side is secured. They don't even want to engage in the conversation, right? And the more agents push it to further their own agenda, it's death. Now go. Lisa, think think about the travel or Tom, we'll, we'll get to your point at some point here, but think of, <laughs> I'm going to take a nap the, underneath my desk. Just let me know when you're ready for me. Think about the travel agents who are still in business today because there are travel agents to exist. They're not on every corner in every, in, in every town in America like they used to be. The ones that exist are the ones that can navigate through a complicated travel experience, maybe two or three destinations that aren't easily researchable. Right. That where it's like, hey, this is where you want to stay eat, and I'm going to coordinate the entire, you know, vacation right. for you. The, the travel agent that is booking flights and a single hotel room in Orlando doesn't exist because anybody can do that. And so the agent that can really I, I'm talking to agents down here in Florida. I'm making these calls for you. I'm, I'm connecting the dots on this, you know, this journey that you have in front of you to simplify it and make it more digestible so that you remain excited about the process instead of overwhelmed. Right. hundred percent.
Well, and, you know, we, we've talked about this with, with our team, and we actually ran a whole training on how to avoid commission breath when the buyer says they have a home to sell. Because you think about a newer agent, right? I mean, we have one out of five agents have sold a home in a down market right now, so they don't even know what it's like. And the big stressors we were talking about is timing, right? It's timing the moves. It's having the new place to move into and being comfortable. And with a lot of boomers, they're not going to move into a fixer-upper. They're going to renovate it first. They're going to make it the way they want because they've got the capital. So... I wanted to run down these points. I thought this would be helpful for the listeners here is that, uh, Byron, you mentioned journey breath. We called it relationship breath. You want to develop a relationship with these people. Um, stop talking about yourself because nobody cares. Stop pushing so hard for the listing appointment. Stop bragging about your services and focus on the seller's biggest problem, which is finding a house. And when you do that and when you focus on solving their concern, because they don't care about selling their house, they don't find a new house. They're not moving, right? They got to either they owe nothing or they got a two or a three interest rate on, 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 on the property at this point. So when that happens, I mean, there's certainly ways to deliver value and say, hey, here's some comps in the neighborhood. If you're curious, you can do that without coming off too strong. But so many agents are like, oh, let's get in there. And the suitable housing contingency, have you guys ever seen that work? It's been a disaster. Anytime I've seen someone try to use it and deals are dying like 90, 120 days out. So with boomers, you've got to meet people where they're at. And look, they've got the leverage in this situation. They've got the house to sell. And what does every person want right now in the marketplace? They want a house. That's simple. And the reason the boomer is intrigued by this thought of a new house or or buying a second home or whatever the case may be is probably a little bit more difficult to uncover than, hey, I need to get my kids into the school system by X date. Like that's an obvious, easy reason to uncover for an agent of why that person's moving or we're getting divorced. I'm putting the house on the market. Easy, understandable. There's going to be more nuance when having the conversation with the boomer because Tom, to your point, it's not a need to sell, have to sell. It's a want to. And the, the destination, the journey is exciting but it, but if the middle part becomes too messy, I'll just back off because I got money in the bank. Uh, I'm all I'm doing is looking at my stock app every single day and seeing if I can buy something low and drinking 14 cups of coffee. Right? You know, boomers got all the time in the world. They're, they're not. They don't feel like they're going anywhere anytime soon. Well, and and that's that's they control one seventh of the world's wealth. Right. So they're in the driver's seat. You know, when when I get to be the boomer age, I hope I'm feeling the same way as these these guys and gals are. I mean, you know, it's like you said, I mean, you, you have all the control. You work hard your entire life and then you get to do things at your own pace. And that's what they should be doing. I mean, I actually I, I respect it. Obviously, my parents are that age and they should be taking advantage right now because they did all the right things for the most part to build wealth and be in this position when, when they when they when they age in, in, into life. So uh with that in mind here, I mean, do you want to talk about how like the boom, I feel like the boomers have had a lot to do with this like post COVID and tech hub slowdown that we've seen in the marketplaces. I mean, are you, are you guys seeing the same kind of trends here? Cause or like, tell me, tell me more about that. Cause it was a great study Redfin put, put out about where the hot markets have kind of cooled down the most over the past, you know, six, 12 months here. Yeah. I think Nicole Friedman covered it pretty well in the wall street journal titling it the tale of two housing markets prices fall in the West while the East booms, you know, there's been this mass exodus that's been happening, happening even before COVID and certainly was accelerated during COVID uh, where people are leaving, you know, San Francisco is more of a tech thing, uh, not necessarily mm -hmm. a boomer thing, but 
you know, uh, Seattle's down seven and a half percent on prices. Uh, San Francisco's down 10.3% on prices. San Jose's down 10 and a half percent while places like Buffalo are up 8.3%. Buffalo. Orlando, 9.3, you know, Miami up over 12%. So you, you have this huge migration to the Southeast and to the South in general. Uh, like Mark Davison, he's the founder of thousand watt. He's been in Portland forever. Uh, I was just out there for their conference and there's a lot of issues with Portland right now. And he he's moving South to uh, Tucson, Arizona, right? He's going all the way, you know, kind of flipping, uh, you know, location there going all the way South close to the Mexico border. And and so you see a lot of this and he, and Mark, I don't know exactly how old he is, but um, you know, he, he's at that retirement. He's not retiring. So I don't, that's the wrong phrase to use, but this will be the house that they're building in Tucson, a home that he retires into and he starts enjoying now. Uh, so that, yeah, I think this, this exodus while has slowed down a little bit um, is going to continue for some time at a steadier pace. This reminds me of uh, 2008 to 2012 with some of the foreclosure markets that really spiked. You take Ohio out of it. The top five states that saw the biggest increases and decreases were California, Nevada, um, Arizona, Florida, and, and Ohio. That was a jobs thing in Ohio. But the other four, um, and I just sent um, Haley a, a heat map. Hopefully we can put this up where it shows the uh, housing markets in tech hubs, pandemic boom towns, uh, specifically and where they're cooling the most, uh, red being the, the biggest drop and green being the strongest. And if you look at all the green dots, it's, you know, the Northeast, New England, the Mid-Atlantic, um, Chicago, Milwaukee, that area. And then, uh, you know, uh, part there's there's like one in Texas, Miami and Florida, and then everywhere south and west is all red. And, and I think that really demonstrates that a couple things are happening. One, you're seeing these peaks come down because it was such a such a hot buying time. I mean, Byron, you relocated during this. I, I think it was, uh, I think it's a great example of you moving down during the pandemic, but the, the Northeast just isn't slowing down because the boomers are, are, are really holding on there versus these other places where they're building more homes. Um, some of the tech money slowing down. And I've heard this from the same source that talked to me about the bank failures that the CEOs of these large companies now, his was one of them. They have these monster leases in large downtown cities. And they're saying, hey, uh, you know, financial advisor, if you think you're going to be able to live in Aspen, Colorado and collect a New York City salary, I've got some news for you. We're going back to work and they're, they're not putting up with this remote work anymore. And I think that has as much to do with this as anything else, because people were just up and gone 2020, 2021, especially. So uh, how do you think this, this this cooling is going to affect the market moving forward for the next three quarters in 2023? I think it's going to continue to be really segmented. I, yeah. I think there's a lot of factors that come into play. I think the jobs aspect of it is one. I think building housing starts are going to be the other part of it, right? And the historic housing starts and the ability to create new inventory. I think one of the things that you kind of hit on but didn't really hit on it deep enough is that in a lot of the East, sorry, just saying, in a, of, <laughs> My in a lot of – My <laughs> we don't have enough land to keep building on, right? Like that's one of the big realities that separates the East yeah. from the West is that we are very built up. If I drive two hours outside of Boston, it's still very difficult to find places to put new construction. If you drive, you know, two hours outside Miami, it's still pretty similar. There's not a ton of places to keep building a lot of new inventory, which is different than the West. 
And what I'll say about like South Florida specifically is they didn't get way ahead of themselves this time on the building. The builders have been very conservative. They've built to to meet demand. Uh, they've built, you know, specifically Naples, a lot of, you know, higher end stuff, which, you know, doesn't help any, you know, affordability issues. Naples just keeps going up in prices. Um, but I think the builders here have done a good job, but not so much to, you know, Texas or some of these other areas where you do see a significant drop in prices in like in Austin and some of these, some of these other spots. Well, it's almost yep. unsustainable in these places, the way they build them up. I mean, they're, you know, it's, it's very similar to the foreclosure uh, issues that we saw um, looking, looking at the past where, you know, they were flipping condos two and three times in, in Florida and in these high rises and the, the, the value of being in the Northeast for all our Northeastern listeners is that the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. Like, I mean, we're going to see the market. What goes up must come down. We've heard that a couple of times. And, and it's just it's we've never seen that big trough and we've never seen that big peak in, in our market here. This is the third or fourth market cycle I've been through. And I think that that's the advantage. And that's the good news for people that a lot of these boomers like we're talking about have lived here a long time. They're not going to get beat up in this downturn as much because there's still an inventory issue. Well, people love the Northeast, just like people love California. Every time I go to California, I'm just intoxicated by the weather and how they have, they've got mountains, they've got desert, they've got beach, like it's beautiful. But listen, this is, this is March 31st and tomorrow, April 1st, that mansion tax goes in. Why do you think three months ago, Mark Warburg, uh, who's been in California for decades, it seems like, you know, I know he's from Boston, Lisa, but you know, he's Mr. Hollywood and he left and went over to Nevada and, and built in Las Vegas because this mansion tax has been coming. I just walked down the hallway yesterday here in the um, Naples office and heard an agent who deals in that 5 million up price point on the phone. And he's like, well, they got to close tomorrow or, or Friday. He's talking to somebody from California coming to South Florida. So making that move from, from California all the way to Florida, and they're trying to beat this mansion tax. And so if California continues, you know, policies like that, and if the Northeast, um, you know, can't figure out a, out a way to, uh, you know, really reduce taxes or maybe not necessarily reduce, but not increase taxes, you, you'll continue to see this exodus. What, what I'm seeing in South Florida and Naples specifically is you, you do have this consistent trickle of boomers coming in um, that what I think accelerated during the last couple of years was families coming down here. Mm -hmm. And now that the, the, the schools in the Northeast have calmed down and gotten their act back together and schools in other areas have, have like, you know, gotten back to educating children that has slowed down. But but the boomer thing has not slowed down. That has been steady and consistent for years, and and I see it remaining um, probably for the next ten years. It'll be interesting hey. when when we're fifteen years out. What will happen to South Florida inventory when some of the boomers are actually, you know, phasing off of planet Earth? That's the the interesting inventory uh, conversation for places like South Florida. They can sell me with their place at a discount. That sounds great. I'm in. I do think. Because you mentioned it, Tom, at the top of this discussion here, uh, quarter three, quarter four, and how quarter two is where you really make your hay. Um, as we go into quarter two here, I want to I want to make clear to anyone who's listening who is an agent, a broker, or team leader that I would be very conservative in my thoughts around quarter three and quarter four, and I'd really try to not take any time off in quarter two. I think quarter four could look even scarier than this year's 
past quarter four did than 22 quarter four did. And so just a reminder that, yeah, quarter two is looking good. Don't get too high on your own supply about quarter two. Take advantage of the next 90 days to the fullest and be conservative when thinking about the end of the year. 100%. Financially, I think business-wise, right? Uh, looking at expenses, both personally and within your business, I think it's going to be absolutely critical. Look, and we've seen that historically. I mean, this is nothing new in, in, in the Northeastern market specifically is that, you know, you get into the winter and there's just less homes to sell. Even you get into August, that, that's a really slow month. Everyone's going on vacation. Kids are going back to school. And a lot of people were misled by the COVID white hot market that we were into where, I mean, I don't even remember like taking like any time off at the end of 2020 or 2020. It was just go, go, go. There was like a little break around the holidays and that was about it. I don't know what, what you two saw. Well, in Pennsylvania, you had half the year off. So why would you take time off at the end of the day? I didn't have half the year off. Maybe some of the uh, <laughs> the other agents did. Uh, it, was, it was 60 days to be exact, thanks to our, our man, Tom Wolf here. So um, th- all that in mind, though, it's this is what normally happens. And we've all talked that strong markets create weak skill sets. It's not going to be like there's there's always deals to be done. Don't get me wrong. You can still do business in four and a half million, nine million sides this year. Yeah, there's always deals to be done every month of the year, but you're going to be foolish, Byron, to your point, to think I'm going to be able to keep up my March and April and May sales pace 12 months out of the year. And one of the most effective business plans I've ever seen, I got this from my dad, and uh, it's he's like, all right, here's your 12 months. How many deals are you going to do each month? And the answer isn't an even split. So if your goal is 24 homes, it's not two a month. That's not how it goes. It's you got to stack up three, four, five deals in the month of April three, four, five deals in the month of May, you've got to do, you got to be looking at June 30th. You've got to have 60% of your business booked and pending at a minimum to hit your goals. That's where you want to be come July 4th weekend. When everyone goes down the Jersey shore, they're lighting off fireworks, celebrating America, drinking your spike seltzers. You've got to have 60% of your business booked by June. That's, that's exactly right. There's a table that I use and, and you can make one of these tables um, in off of your MLS, cause it might be different, you know, like December and January in, in Naples are, are obviously different than December and January in, in a place like Connecticut or Massachusetts or something like that. So you can go into your MLS and figure out over, you know, and I may skip over 2020 and maybe even I, 2021. I, I would. I, I, there, it, you have to go back to 2018 year. or 2019 yeah. without a doubt. So maybe look at like, you know, a five year average of, you know, 2013 to 2018. Those are pretty normal years or 2014 to 2019, something like that. And then you can just figure out the percent of transactions each year in each month. And so I've done this in in, uh, our markets up in in Connecticut, January 6%, February 5%, March and April 7%, 7 7.5%. And then you go May, June, July are 9, 11 and 10.5%. Now those are closed transactions, which means the work is happening you know, a few months prior, because because we're talking about, you know, I could have run this pendings as well. Obviously, August 11, uh, September 9, those are like June pendings, right? Mm-hmm. And then October, November, December 8, and, and then in the sevens. And so to your point, that gives you a perspective of like, where the work has to come, it needs to be front loaded. And Q2, uh, you know, is, is going to be an, an opportunity for everybody. Before we jump off here, guys, I, I'd love your quick thoughts on the uh, the commission lawsuit now being class action. Obviously, started in 2019. Now it's officially a class action lawsuit. This is huge. Bright MLS, Tom. Are you bright? 
Yes. Bright MLS is named in the class action. Uh, any any thoughts? Lisa, why don't you go first? I got I got some thoughts on this, but I want to hear. Oh, Tom's hear. been he's probably been muzzled. Go ahead, Lisa. <laughs> well, I mean, we've all known it was coming, right? Like, I think all the signs were indicating that it was heading this way. I think a lot of what we're talking about here is that it's super important that agents be aware of what's going on, that we keep it in our thoughts that there will likely be some changes to what happens in the industry. I don't think we're going to feel those changes this year, next year, or the year after, though I think we're going to, st- I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, we're starting to see some of it slide in, in listings here. I think two weeks ago, my, my agents came to me with two different listings where there was no buyer agency commission offered. And there was a disclosure that said it was on the buyer agent to negotiate directly with their client for their own compensation. And I think that that's what we're going to continue to see. But I don't think over the next 12, 24, probably even 36 months that that's going to be a colossal shift. But I think we all need to be prepared that we've got to start increasing our skill set to get there and that it's just going to further lead to the commission compression that we all already feel. Building your brand right now is more important than ever with the lawsuit that is looming in the real estate industry and how that could change commissions. Your brand needs to be tight. Your ability to market to consumers directly and showcase your value must be paramount. You must excel over other agents. It's why we've put out eBooks like the one down below, Mastering the Green Screen. It tells you everything you need to do with green screen recording on Instagram, on TikTok, which gives you the most organic growth right now. The bigger you can build your brand, the more value to the marketplace you can provide, and the higher fees, ultimately, you will be able to validate. Get the ebook down below, Mastering the Green Screen, today so you can start building your brand like BAM. And we, we've had four years to think about it, it mm-hmm. you know, because it started in 2019. And so, yeah, if, if it's 36 months, the clock is ticking. Tom, what do you think? So what, what, I'm, what I'm clear on is the following. One, every agent needs to get serious about the listing side of their business. Too many agents have been reliant on buyers coming in and being a great buyer agent, which is, which is a skill. Don't get me wrong. Um, I learned early on in my career, and I got this stuff from like Mike Ferry, Tom Ferry, all the coaches, that hey, whoever controls the listings controls the market. So that, that's number one. And that's something we all have talked about with our, with our team mm-hmm. because that's something we got to get clear on. So that, that's first and foremost. Secondly, th- th- you know, I, I'm interested to see what kind of laws are going to be changed around mortgage financing because there's some cases where if the buyer, and you guys have all had transactions like this, if the buyer had to pay the fee, they're not able to afford the house. And is well, that going to actually prohibit it, right? Yeah. VA loans even say that the buyer can't pay any commissions or fees to a real estate agent. A, a great point. And, and that, that's one of the examples here. And then just think about the affordability side, because buyers always go up to the maximum amount they can afford. They, they never like they, they never are conservative, or at least most of them are. They always go, all right, I don't want to move again. I'm going to my max number because there's a cost of moving, which makes sense. So, right. I'm interested to see what kind of financing laws are going to be rolled out, if that's something they can roll into a finance number, because you're paying whatever percentage point, because I don't want to talk about commission rates here, because that's what the laws say. That's going to cost more money. I mean, if it's a couple percentage points, that's more cash coming to the table, which a lot of, especially first time buyers, move up buyers, they're often, it's a math equation. And third, agents have to get clear on their value proposition. The order taking that goes on on the buyer side We've all done deals with these people where it's like that they, they, they've got like, you know, they're smarter than a box of rocks, maybe in, in some of these transactions. If they're not able to communicate their value, 
they're going to have a problem. Um, and you know, th- there are ways to negotiate the commission. I've had to do this with for sale by owners when I was on the buy side. Like it does happen. It's not frequent. So skills, focus on listings. And I'm interested to see what kind of legislation is going to come down on the financing side, because some of these people aren't going to be able to buy homes. I mean, the VA law is a great example. So something's going to have to give here from from a legal perspective. Yeah, I, I went into pretty much detail on it on Hot Sheet, but I'll just give a quick takeaway on, on my side. Um, no matter what happens now that this has been classified as class action, whether it's settlement or trial, either way, there will be changes made. Because in a settlement, there's going to have to be a give, hey, we're going to make these changes and this is what's going to happen. And certainly in a trial, the awareness to consumers goes through the roof when there's an actual trial. You know, I, I think that, you know, very few consumers actually even know that this is going on. You go to trial and it's and it's more mainstream, that, that's going to bring some serious awareness and that, that'll naturally just shift the market. So, uh, you know, don't rely on, don't rely on the good old boy club, NAR, to come save you. And don't re- and don't rely on how uh, deals have been done the last four decades because there will be a separation of talent. And it's why we decided this year to launch this podcast, Knowledge Brokers Podcast, so that we can uh, help all of you guys kind of stay ahead of this. And, and I hope you're getting value from it. Consider subscribing to the channel so that you don't miss any future episodes. Um, I know Lisa, I already saw her stand up. And so she's, she gets, uh, really antsy. I'm surprised she's not swinging anything, any green worms around, but you know, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to cut it here. Cause Lisa, will, you know, she, she'll blow up. She's a ticking time bomb over there. Something I, you like know, that. You, you mentioned something about NAR. <laughs> like I, 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 we got to talk about this for a second. How does NAR let it get to this? Like, I mean, they, they've come up with so many arbitrary rules, like bright MLS is named in the suit. You know why bright's named? They won't allow you to list a home without any offer of compensation in the MLS. That I mean, that, that's a problem here. Like they could put in. I mean, you're seeing it. What, what's your MLS, Lisa? Well, you're seeing zero. Penergy. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm surprised Bright I, hasn't come out with a disclosure or something yet. Somebody commented on the hush today. Like Bright hasn't even done anything yet, and they're named in the lawsuit. It's been four years. They haven't even gotten ahead of it. Well, and Bright just loves coming up with these arbitrary rules. Like, I mean, the clear cooperation policy is a great example. Like that, that thing is one of the dumbest rules I've ever seen come out with. And you're telling sellers, hey, don't use our agents if you want to do this privately. So you're almost forcing the seller to go for sale by owner there in some cases or hire a non, you know, realtor entity. So and, and Bright's the second largest MLS in the country besides the, the, the California MLS. I mean, these guys like it's you have these leaders and, you know, it's. I, I mean, we've talked about this at a dinner in Boston, Lisa, if you remember correctly, NAR came up. And it's like, how do they how do they let this happen? Like, they're supposed to be looking out for us. And I don't hear them talking about it. People are probably getting more information from this podcast than they are from NAR and Bright MLS right now. Well, without question. All right. I, I was lying about Lisa being antsy. Not really lying, but but I, I do have to go. So, Lisa, your final thought. And then, <laughs> and then I, have to, I have to go. Well, I actually, I think that we could take a whole show and talk about NAR. And I think we've all got some pretty um, strong feelings about NAR, the future of NAR, and what NAR does for us as individuals. You mean what they so, don't do for us? Would that be, I think that'd be a better way to say it. Uh, I opted out. I, I've been pretty clear about that. I don't see the value in what NAR provides to me as a broker, to my agents as agents, and for my Massachusetts 
branch of the company, we opted out and we are non-realtor. So yes, I have strong feelings about what they don't do. Let us know if, if you'd like that discussion of a full episode down below on the value of NAR. And, and I would certainly be welcome to bring in, you know, a huge advocate into the pot as a fourth, as a fourth voice on that, on that show, that, that would be um, part of the discussion. I'd be happy to do that. Speaking of Logan Motoshami is willing to come on. I forgot to, I, I, we got no response. Well, when are you going to book him, Tom? I'm going to make, you know, I have to, we have to go through housing wire and deal with all that. So we'll have to unload the BAM coffers here to probably pony up to get them on is my guess. That's ridiculous. I just met Clayton Collins, the CEO of housing wire. He, he just said email. I, I don't know what he said. He just said this is the proper pro- protocol. So that, that, that was that's as far as it went. I'll Clayton is a fan email. of BAM. He, he said that. Was Logan. Not putting words was in his Logan. mouth. He said we do a great job on our podcast. I mean, that is high praise. Like, I value him more than Bob Goldberg any day of the week. So that's 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 oh, great news. Yeah, I'd love to have Logan come on. He's he's fantastic every time he goes on CNBC. And those are two minute snippets. We get him for forty five uh, or an hour here. That, that'll be a lot of fun. All right, I do got to go, guys. You guys are right. amazing. Have a great Peace. weekend, everyone. Get your knowledge.